Hello, everyone, and welcome to Citizen Reporter, episode 475. I'm your host, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and today's podcast is all about Arabic script and typography. But wait, it's really about society and how we write, or in the context of uh, people who speak Arabic, how you write Arabic, how it's printed, how it appears in everyday life, and how this impacts how we think of ourselves. You follow me? This is a much larger issue than just writing, as beautiful as that can be and important. Uh, So today I have a special guest as we dive into a fascinating world that is perhaps under discussed or at least never never hits the headlines of course because it's a slower topic because perhaps it's not sexy it doesn't sell initially but man is it interesting and beautiful and I'm very glad to have our guest today on the podcast so let's get to it When you first started in, in graphic design, what was what was the thing that most interested you? What did you want uh, uh, with your work? I mean, I think when I, when I very first started, it was something very new, and uh, at least you know graphic design the way it's now the the way it's defined now that was very new in the Middle East. Uh, I mean, not not looking regionally back then, only in Lebanon, but it was actually quite new in the region and the and the education that uh, the educational system, let's say. So uh, so that was the most interesting part. So it sounded like a new sort of new major with a lot of possibilities. Um, that's really the interest in it. It was new. It was related to visual art. There was a lot of, uh, you know, cultural uh, difficulties in choosing something in the arts uh, for a young guy in the Middle East. You know, like fine art is really, you know, you, you don't get the full support to do it uh, from your environment, from your parents. Uh, other, other design majors could be very easily labeled as this is for guys, this is for women. So graphic design seemed to be a right fit. Uh, where what was new enough, it seemed, uh, you know, not too much fashion, not too much interior design, uh, and not too, you know, not too much art, and on the other hand, that, it, you know, you wouldn't have a living out of it. So that, that made it the right uh, choice to, uh, uh, to be easily, uh, to convince everyone around you to get into. And, uh, you know, bit by bit, I have to say there wasn't a lot of more knowledge about it because it was so new. So there was a little bit of uh, uh, following my gut to uh, to take it. But uh, the more I knew it, the more I realized how much needed it is. The more I realized how much we can, uh, how much opportunities there are in the Arab world. You know, graphic design being so new, everything around you could be designed. You know, there was so much possibilities to initiate project, to think of project, to actually make change. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that made it, you know, very exciting. And even when we were still studying, we had a very good, solid program when I was studying in Beirut at the American University. 
And, um, you know, most of us were still students and we were already working out uh, in the real world because there was just too many opportunities coming and so much possibilities to design better things around us. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious. I know that you also do research into, into history, and I, I definitely am mm-hmm. going to ask you uh, a lot of questions about that. I love yeah. to learn history. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's a new field. It was a new field. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, of course graphics mm-hmm. they are still everywhere in the middle east yeah. they were they they have been for a very long time yeah. so what what i mean you, here you're telling me you know even as students we were working because there was this demand mm-hmm. what was going on how were these graphics being developed i mean who, I mean, who was doing I, these yeah, jobs yeah i mean when i when i say it was new and I, I mean i i stress that it's new that the sort of the modern definition of graphic design is new uh, later, when I when I when I progressed further in my career, I started to look back and ask exactly these questions. Uh, it can't be new. I mean, we have we have a very rich history of, of visual art uh, in the Arab world, uh, but somehow there seemed to be like in the I mean the internationally the history of graphic design also is rather new in the way it's defined now. There was always a blurred line between advertising design, between visual communication, between graphic design. So I'm really talking about you know, current definition of graphic design. Uh, there was a lot of work done. Uh, it was, you know, it was very strange because I think the, a lot of the work was blurred between a lot of disciplines. A lot of architects, for example, were involved. A lot of uh, graphic designers were being labeled as caricature artists. So a lot of the guys who were doing, who were known as caricature artists, if I look now back at their work, I say these were really better in graphic design, but somehow got more into illustration, let's say. Uh, a lot of architects were doing parts of the graphic design work, particularly in logo design. And of course, there was very few uh, people who were uh, very self-conscious that they are graphic uh, designers, more, more artistic directors, and they did uh, a lot of this work. Uh, but for the longest time, you know, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a, let's say, uh, educational uh, programs in the Middle East that teach graphic design and teach you that, you know, branding, book cover, poster poster design all fall under this uh, one category that the designer work uh, under. Uh, so some people were, you know, doing a lot of poster designs, but they weren't just graphic designer. They were very good at poster design, but they were doing other stuff uh, at the same time. So, uh, yeah, the more I, you know, the more I did work, the more, the more I started researching also at the background of design in the Middle East, the more I was able to pinpoint who were really the, the, the designers, or, but most of the time they were specialized in some aspects. Uh, and, the, you know, at the time I was studying, the biggest graphic designers were the ones who studied in the West ahead and came back to the Middle East to set up the first uh, proper academic programs to teach graphic design. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, the digitalization of, of graphics of, mm-hmm. of, um, you know, that, that is in the end, one of the, the interesting topics and, and mm-hmm. topics that I think you and I will be, get to talk about, uh, in the, well, when we meet here in Amsterdam in the future, mm-hmm. but, um, how much did that impact, uh, the Middle East? And, and this is sort of hard to quantify, I guess, but, mm-hmm. um, there is something that happens when you take things that have long been done by hand, yeah. uh, based on tradition, and then you make a, a, a digital form that comes through, for example, a computer. Yeah. Uh, it had a big effect, positive and negative, of course. I mean, on the negative side, uh, you know, a lot of the, there has been a lot of confusion about, you know, what the computer does and what design is. So to a lot of 
to a big part uh, of the market, someone knowing how to use a computer, you know, would take the role of designing or would be accepted by others as designers. Uh, on the other hand, maybe it, uh, uh, it you know, the whole digital, digital revolution and graphic design made, uh, on the other hand, an opposite. I mean, it made it made it a little bit uh, more specialized of, or more demanding as a more technically demanding as a major uh, that some people saw the need you know of digging into it and solely becoming graphic designers who are able to work in the digital age uh, but yeah it, it had a lot of negative impact as well because a lot of the stuff started to look the same of course very gen- very generic very computerized uh, and uh, if I look back you know when I dig to, to, to look into the history of graphic design in the region uh, probably a lot of the good stuff stopped happening uh, when the digital uh, you know, when the digital chain, when the, you know, when graphic design became very digital. Uh, so it took some time after that to, to, to find again, uh, you know, solid work and work that had a lot of character. Yeah. I guess it's a bit like the, you, you mature with a, an art or a, a tool. Yeah. And in the beginning you do very basic things and you're, you're growing up in yeah. some way. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Hmm. Um, you um, have done many projects around the world. As you said, you're always traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, if it's even possible, tell me about perhaps one of your most, um, a project that most inspired you or one that you just really enjoyed. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, in, in different phases in your life, you enjoy different projects. I guess, uh, mm, you know, putting aside the ones that excited me when I was just starting, you know, the chance of getting very big project at the beginning of your career. Uh, I think I've enjoyed most, a lot of the project, uh, that were for museums because I try as much as possible to, uh, to work on, on cultural projects. And uh, when we are working for a museum, it's a great opportunity to, you know, to be surrounded by, uh, you know, culturally rich elements from all sides because your client is really a cultural institution and trying to promote a specific uh, specific part of culture to the wider audience. Uh, so maybe working, uh, one of the projects I really enjoyed was working for the DNA Museum in London. Uh, when they organized their first uh, exhibition about uh, contemporary photography from the Middle East and asked me to design the space, the, the exhibition uh, space for this uh, for their exhibition. Uh, I found it very, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun because I brought, I tried to bring uh, the street, uh, the street language of the Middle East into the museum space. And, which is something I do a lot in my work. But to be able to do that uh, in such a big museum in the heart of London and bring, you know, elements that I collected on the streets of Beirut, in the smallest streets of Beirut, and take these and, and have them be part of a, a museum display exhibition, that was very rewarding for me because you really take the essence and the street rough language and bring it to the museum space, to the gallery space uh, in the heart of Europe. And that I found really uh, one, you know, one of the projects I enjoyed the most as process and as a result, as an end result as well. Hmm. Um, do you find that you have in the past um, and still to this day get offered um, projects, projects come to you that you don't 
because of I'm thinking more here of people who have the wrong idea, who mm-hmm. have sort of cliche ideas mm-hmm. where yeah. you say, I won't do this. Uh, I won't do this as a pro- like as a project in general or, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a type of commission or, uh, or they're asking for something very specific uh, that I don't think I, you know, as, as a specific design solution that I don't think I should do it. Uh, I'm thinking more of the, um, and I've seen you write about this, the, mm-hmm. the bad habits that yeah, are out there yeah, that companies yeah. seem to want. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a very, I'm a practical designer. I, I really think, you know, that design is, uh, uh, in its definition, graphic design is, includes working with a client. So working with, with an external person. I've never wanted to uh, just get stuck in designing what I think is good and, you know, my opinion will dominate the client's opinion. Mm. So I very much value this, uh, this essence because I think it's what makes design very challenging, that you always have uh, a different opinion and different requirement and someone you have to find a middle ground with between what you think and what they think and, uh, uh, you know, and what they think might be, might not make sense to us as designers, but they're looking at it from a completely different purpose, whether it's a business purpose or, you know, from their uh, own understanding of, of, of the project they're leading. So I, I enjoy this, get, you know, getting different opinion because I think it helps me sometimes get out of my style and create something I wouldn't usually create. If they're asking me, you know, for a lot of these cliche things, I, you know, I try to explain, I try to, you know, you know, in a way, uh, see how convincing I am also and not taking it, but I'm also open to try. And, you know, I mean, if I say, you know, we, I had this discussion now in Kuwait, if, you know, I say the camel is a cliche, but it's not that I don't want to use a camel. I've had, <laughs> I've had situation where I use the camel, but then I find it much more challenging because I want to use it in a non-cliche way. Right, uh, and there is. I mean, the camel is. You know, cliches become cliches for a reason. The camel holds a lot of significant uh, significance for some part of the Arab world, mm. uh, but not every part. But when it's valid to use it, I think, you know, I would uh, invest more in showing why we're using it, or, and you know, get beyond the the shallow level of just putting a camel because it represents us. So I'm more interested, why does it represent us? Uh, why does it represent a specific uh, lifestyle of a certain period? And if this is applicable to a project we're working on, how can we focus really on that aspect, you know? Hmm. So I take it as a challenge. I don't think I say, no, I don't do this. Uh, I try to work with it. And, uh, you know, I try to force myself also to sometimes change my opinion. Uh, because of the you know practical my practical side and approaching design, uh, I might not agree at the end and uh, you know maybe learn something from it. But I rarely say no, no. I don't believe we should do that and we should not do it because I think design is experimental. So you know I don't mind experimenting in a new approach or a new idea uh, and giving it the chance. Maybe I get convinced you know otherwise. Hmm. You, you suddenly see the palm tree in a whole new way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could. I mean, I'm. You know, I'm. We could use a, You know, a, a lot of concepts can come up of a palm tree, but I find. You know, I find it good to have a proper concept, not just. You know, put golden palm tree in Dubai airports. Uh, you know, because that's that's a luxury way of our heritage that I find too shallow. But yes, if we look at the structure of the palm tree of, of for example, how uh, you know. It's structure, actually, how the structure of the street is fascinating. If we, you know, look at its architecture and try to use that in a way, then this is also, you know, 
a fantastic basis for a concept probably let's let's stay commercial if possible i think mm-hmm. that you you have uh, indicated in some of your texts there are certain logos uh, out there in in arabic mm-hmm. that you consider uh, a sign of uh, i mean great achievement or good work basically uh, <laughs> is, i believe al jazeera is one of them the logo yeah yeah i think it's a, it's a, it's a it's a good logo yeah absolutely uh, because it started you know it's uh, it started a trend. It really took al- al- Arabic calligraphy and uh, transformed it into an icon uh, and proved also that the complexity of the traditional calligraphy is not, uh, uh, is not a problem, also on a, on, a, on a very difficult medium such as television. Uh, so, yeah, I think there is, I mean, there is plenty of good work around uh, as much as there is bad work, yeah. Was that a problem of technology or was it a problem of people's tastes, uh, be it uh, in the actual region where, where the channel comes from uh, in the Middle East or even internationally? Uh, you know, if, if we have to look at, you know, at bad work being done, you mean? Or, uh... or, or why it took long or, or it took until the Al Jazeera logo. No, I mean, along. I think there was bits and pieces. I think there was, you could find a lot of good logos, but there wasn't a good awareness, for example, that a good logo is not a brand. I mean, you could have a fantastic logo, but a very poor applications of the logo everywhere. Mm. And, uh, you know, so you could find a lot of good logos, for example, but very poor uh, development into a f- full visual language and house style and applications. And that will, will kill it, really. You know, you wouldn't see it. And there was no differentiation between the, the, the first step and the bigger step. Uh, and And... You know, and they're just like otherwise. There was also like very poor logos, but they were you ha- they were being held by a brand which was better executed. So that that comes a little bit back to uh, you know the the lack of a complete image. Very few, uh, you know, it took some time for an identity to do it right on all levels. So have and the good logo and the good full brand guideline and the consistency uh, and then when that started to happen with the, the better uh, awareness in the region and with, with the better people practicing then you started to have like solid uh, brands like emirates airline for example when they when they started you know they had the good logo they had the consistency they had their own custom typefaces it was just a professionally done uh, overall package uh, so that's i think that's what what made it take some time it just um, professionally done overall package but also the the lack of proper channels doing it you know for the longest time uh, advertising agencies were doing all the work in the Middle East and that was my biggest problem that's why actually I started my design studio when we graduated you know you had only one chance as a graphic designer if you want to work you go and work in an advertising agency and graphic design was really you know, that doesn't belong in, in ad agencies. It belongs in, you know, or a design studio or, or a design firm if you want to look at the bigger scale. So it was always treated as something secondary. You know, you, it comes, you know, we do the design or the graphic design or the branding because we need to use it in a, in a bigger advertising campaign. Uh, so this finesse in doing with design, this really attention for the design details and the design process was non-existing in an ad agency. Uh, so there was a lot of mediocre work coming. Uh, and that's really when I, you know, when I started my, my, my graphic design studio, that was my biggest challenge to really uh, set up and, you know, and set up and work in the region 
uh, and introduced the concept of a small design studio that could get larger work and that could get you know a huge uh, branding project to do uh, because graphic design work you know such as book covers or poster design these belong in a graphic design studio not in an ad agency so i think that was really the main problem ad agencies taking all the work and taking work that doesn't belong to them and doing it that was the main reason for having a lot of mediocre work for the longest time but again, I hear that that evolution that's happening, this this maturity that happens, where you start to realize, uh, we as a society or a different society start to realize the place of graphic design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious. Are there tools that you still lack? And I'm thinking here of computers a bit. Is there, mm-hmm. when it comes to doing what you do, all the different kinds of work, mm-hmm. um, are there tools that you have in mind that don't exist yet? Uh, that kind of oh. hold you hold you back, or you you'd like to see? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, a lot. I mean, the thing is, most most of softwares I work with, they weren't initially done for Arabic. You know, it's it's always that they're done not for the Arab market, and then we adopt them in the Arab market. So there is always, uh, you know, when it's not a tool created customly for you and for your script and for your language, there's always difficulties. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so everything can be better, you know, like if I'm designing a font, yeah, I mean, the tool was not really made for Arabic. Arabic was an addition after. So I have to figure out a lot of mm. things that uh, that are not easy or that are not explained and, and so on. But, you know, I think we've been doing that for a while that you get used to it. Solutions are usually coming. Technical solutions are most of the time coming from abroad and then have to be adapted, adapted to fit uh, uh, to fit your needs for a specific language. Uh, so yeah, I mean, for the longest time, you know, I mean, it, t- it took a while to be able to type Arabic on an iPhone, for example. You know, at the beginning you had to use a spe- special application and so on. But then with time, four or five years after, it becomes available and it works fine. Mm-hmm. No. I'm, I'm thinking about that when you watch. I'm sure uh, whatever social network or chat mm-hmm. tools that you use, um, you you see people writing in Arabic, in English, in many languages. There you are in, in Spain, so in Catalan. Um, but um, you also see this whole blending of, of languages, especially in international communities. Yeah. Um, and, and among my Arabic-speaking friends, I see the the Latin letters yeah. spelling Arabic words, yeah. or, or a mix, a mix, right? The use of numbers uh, and so on. When you look at all this, do you... Uh, you sound like someone who celebrates it. Yeah. I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. More and more, actually. Now, I mean, I think at the beginning, you know, in, in, as a Lebanese, also you fall into the trap very easily because you are a country <laughs> which speaks French, speaks English. You were a French colony. You can't say one sentence without mixing all these languages. Uh, and to me, it sounded okay. And at the beginning, as someone who travels a lot and studied abroad, that you know, more and more, I was. Uh, uh, yeah, I was working in an international context, so I had to do to you know to uh, uh, to mix a lot between languages. But I think lately I started to realize that this is becoming a big problem. And actually, that's why that's why I was in Kuwait. I gave I gave a workshop specifically on this. I am more focusing now on you know trying to uh, celebrate the Arabic language in the sense that Arabic started to become as a language not cool enough. Uh, you know, people were were. Especially creative people were starting to think that you can't be creative in Arabic, uh, or that the that the language itself is a is a burden or it stops you. So uh, I, I I saw some of the work that some foundation 
uh, in Lebanon was doing uh, to, to really promote the Arabic language, promote creativity with the Arabic language and, uh, you know, encourage everyone to just speak Arabic without, uh, uh, because we are starting to kill the language really. And that's why we teamed up and gave this workshop together in Kuwait, uh, where the whole goal of it was to promote, you know, the, the use of Arabic, that Arabic in itself as a language can be cool. Uh, when whether, whether, whatever the creative uh, channel is, uh, we can be creative in Arabic and just stick to Arabic. Not necessarily, you know, we can use other languages when we need to, but we don't have, we don't need to have Arabic uh, something that stops us or, you know, risks of being the not cool language. Especially for young people I'm talking about, for, for really the younger generation who, uh, you know, if they get used to write Arabic in, in Latin letters, uh, that, that really can become a problem eventually. Mm-hmm. So on that whole, uh, I often look at the world and, and, you know, you think about the amount of languages that are even disappearing uh, on a weekly basis. Um, You're someone who's in favor of of doing something about it as opposed to just saying, let it let the chips fall where they fall. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's uh, uh, yeah, it it might not disappear, but it's weakening. It's becoming very weak. Uh, You know, I see it from young designers. I work with young designers and some of them are you know, unable to write a proper email in Arabic. Uh, mm. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a problem because, you know, you you cannot, you cannot, even if you want to write, I mean, all even all the Arabs who, you know, if we look at Shubran, all the Arabs that uh, uh, wrote non-Arabic and wrote good stuff, they all started by writing by their mother language first. I think the mother language is not about just reserving your language, but it's the, the, the language that you're most able by, by nature uh, to excel in. So even if you want to excel in other languages, you have to excel first in your own language uh, in order to do so in other languages as well. So it's, uh, you know, the main language is not, it's not just preserving heritage, but it's the language that's most, that can get most emotions out of you. It has more relation to your history, to your past, to your memories. So it's a language that, uh, yeah, connect with you in so many other ways. And that's why I think, that's why the importance of keeping it is important. Not just to preserve the culture and so on, but it, it, it's really the best way to make anyone be creative. Uh, using that language or using other languages as well. Hmm. Well said. Wow. (laughs) Okay, well, Tara Catrici, thanks so much for uh, taking the time today. And, uh, of course, I'll share uh, with people your your website, uh, which also contains information about your exhibits, uh, some of your writing. There have been some podcasts, a whole slew of things going on there. Um, so, So people can follow the media that you've, producing uh and we look forward to seeing you here in amsterdam great great excellent nice talking to you and we're uh, looking forward to said you come from the north and then i saw you in the south i thought your eyes were blue but was the one behind those black eyes also you you also said you were a boy but i met a lady with your voice you were born in 62 Although my friend's grandfather looks just like you. Back with you for some final notes. First of all, the website, which is a very interesting read, and also where you can find more information about where Tarek is, where his work is going. You can go to Atrissi.com. 
Trissi.com. That's A-T-R-I-S-S-I.com. Tarek Trissi Design. Highly recommended. And, uh, well, I think that does it for today's program. Any big notes? Uh, one, perhaps, uh, speaking here a little bit about Beirut and Lebanon, I will be heading back to Beirut. You may recall in 2012 when Christopher Lydon and I were there. Well, I'm heading back. Details uh, coming in the next few podcasts. And, of course, it'll be a bit of a follow-up to the Arab Artists series. So uh, we can look forward to that. I know I do. Otherwise, citizenreporter.org. Thanks so much for the donations, for the comments, for the tweets, everything that you do to support this program. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you again next week. Until next time, thanks for listening. See ya. See ya. If I am at the zoo I feel in between children that love like you Recognize you everywhere Oh, if you were just one But you were as many as the things I love And I can't have you all with me at home If I just couldn't recognize you everywhere Oh, if you were just one But you were as many as the things I love And I'm too small cause you confuse me so Too small.